Take your Bible now, if you would please, and, fo- and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, we will begin in chapter number 2, if that would be all right. Just take your Bible there now, if you would. And uh, just as a little preparatory statement to the message tonight. There are two books in the Bible, in the New Testament, entitled Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Two letters written at two different times. 1st Corinthians is written from Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. 2nd Corinthians more than likely was written from Philippi. But there seems to be, as you read through the book, and you'll get that as we read along and you, you catch it, there seems to have been another letter that is not, has not been found and is not included in the canon of scriptures. And evidently it was a scathing letter that Paul wrote as a result of them rejecting his first visit to Corinth. Have you ever walked in right in the middle of a big fuss and tried to fix it? It don't work. So Paul evidently walked right in the middle of Corinth in a very rushed situation trying to fix all the dilemma and the problems that is recorded in 1 Corinthians 1. And he tried to correct them personally face to face. And evidently it didn't go over too well. So now let's You and I noticed something in the first eight verses of chapter one. Paul is writing about the comforting ability of God. How that God is the abundant comforter. And I guess as he licks his wounds and tries to apologize, he's probably saying, thank God he is a comforter. You know, you guys ever made your wife real mad and and um, she's put you in your place and you're off in a corner someplace licking your wounds, asking God to comfort you. And then in the next few verses in chapter 1, he writes and defends himself uh, of the accusations they have put on him. And now listen as he concludes his his accountability of himself, verse number 21 of chapter 1. Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us as God. They've been questioning his apostleship, his anointing, his message, his calling of God. And now he says, I just want to share something with you. Now he that established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. Today we sign a contract with our name. In the first century they did not sign with a name. They had a mark, a stamp, a seal. And when they made an agreement or a contract, they sealed that contract, guaranteeing that they keep the word. That's the same thing you do with your signature. And Paul said, 
I have been anointed. I have been established. And God has sealed me and given me the in earnest uh, of the uh, purchase of the spirit in our hearts. Now he begins in verse 23. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul. That to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. He said, you better thank God I didn't come. He said, that first trip didn't work. And he said, I'm not coming this time to spare you. I wonder what spare means in an apostolic situation. You remember Acts chapter 5, and Ananias Sapphira lied to God. You remember what they did? Those apostles had the power of God, and they just killed them right there in the front of the church house. Paul said, you better thank God I didn't come. I came because I wouldn't, didn't want to come in anger. I spared you my coming. Paul said, I could call down fire and lightning on you bunch of egghead, immature Christians. He said, you didn't have to vote that fornicator out. I could have killed him right in the front of the church. But I spared you that. Ain't that nice? Hope he don't come to this church. We'd be in a mess, man. I hope he don't bring thunder and lightning around here. The preacher's the first one and get lightning struck, right? Notice he said, I like this. He said, moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. In other words, I chose not to come face to face. I'm going to write you a letter instead. And he's writing 2 Corinthians to try to help them solve the problems that he confronted in 1 Corinthians. Next verse. Not... For that we have dominion over your faith. Paul said, I'm not your Pope. And I'm not your potentate. And I'm not to have dominion or be a tyrant over your faith. But are helpers of your joy. Pastors do not have the Popish powers over church members. I visited with someone last night and he could not believe that I allowed the teenagers to go out and allow somebody else to preach to them and that we had people out of the service on Wednesday night being discipled by other Christians. Because the scripture don't teach that. Or he thought it didn't teach that. Some preacher that he's been under, insecure, wanted to be ramrod over things, had to have his finger on everything, and that is a pope over four or five people. And he said, well, our church never did grow. I said, I wonder why. For churches to grow, Christians must grow. Did you get that? For churches to grow, Christians must grow in the Lord. 
and Christians are to build the church. Pastors and associates and teachers are to perfect the saints that the saints can build the church. You see what I'm talking about? So Paul said, I'm not coming because I don't want to kill you right now. (laughs) He said, I'm not coming because, notice the last phrase, the Bible said, but for by faith you do what? Now you got a lot of problems, he said, but by faith you stand. By faith you still have a church. By faith you're still meeting. By faith you're arguing a little bit. By faith, by faith, faith. Aren't you glad that we stand by faith? And some pope don't have to come along and prop us up. Aren't you glad of that? Now, let me give you this. Verses 1 through 4. Look at this. This is great. Now, just listen as Paul writes. And he says, but I determine this with myself. That I would not come again to you in heaviness. Seemed like he's already been over there once in heaviness. Come again with heaviness. He said that heaviness last time didn't work too good. Now look at this. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. Having confidence in you all, Paul's a southern boy, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. He said, I'm not going to try the Pope part. I'm going to try diplomacy. I'm not coming in heaviness. I think I'll just write you in love. I'm not going to write you to judge you. I'm going to write you to love you. Isn't that something? I said, isn't that great? The Bible said, now, you, you, you will get on down. And, but I, with many, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Let's you and I look just a moment, please, at verses 1 through 4. And let's look at the tears of Paul for the church. Now, I just don't believe A preacher who cannot muster a tear, I don't believe he has any business preaching or pastoring a church. I think very important, very significant in the ministry is a tear in the eye that was produced by a tear in the heart. Everybody thinks that this pastoring business is just cut out And all we do is just preach three times a week. And folks told me recently, said, when we first started coming to the church, you preached till 1230. Now you're trying to quit by 12. I said, he said, why? I said, you don't see all them folk looking at me at 12? (laughs) And all them folk flashing their wristwatches and 
And he said, well, I don't understand why you want to get through. I want to show you a real, a real picture of Paul's ministry. Take your Bible, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, let me read for you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I, I want to show you somewhat about the tears that the Apostle Paul mustered, if you would please. I'll begin reading, if you allow me, about verse 23 of your Bible, 2 Corinthians 11, just as a preface now. And I begin reading in verse 23. Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ, speaking of his critics? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, speaking about the apostles. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In depths off. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. I was beaten with rods once. I was stoned thrice. I suffered shipwreck a night in the deep. I spent in the deep in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils, perils by the heathen, in perils in the city. Paul must have been a jeweler. In perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings off, in cold and in nakedness. You want to get in the ministry? And then he said, and besides those things that are without, now notice, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Besides all that, that comes on me from without, The care of the churches daily. Paul is writing to one of those churches. And as he wrote unto the church. He said if you fellows want to know what those tear stains are on the letter that I've written you. It wasn't raining outside when I wrote the letter. Those are tears. It came from broken heart. The anguish that comes from the inside when God's people disappoints God on a regular basis. Tears are a significant part of the ministry. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible? Have you taught it to your kid yet? John 11, verse 35. You remember what it said? Jesus wept. Constantly and over and over and over, Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion is that which ignites the inside of us that moves the exterior to help somebody else when they're in need. In the book of Acts, 
chapter number 20, verse 19, Paul says, serving the Lord with many tears. Acts chapter 20 and verse number uh, 31, cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I read one time, they that sow in, you got it? They that sow in what? They that sow in tears shall reap in what? He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. You know what's wrong with the modern day church? We lost our tears. Nothing to set by visitors at our church without going by and, and welcome to our church and praying for them during the service. Well, I don't know what to need. The God you're praying to knows what they need. One thing they don't need is super glue on their britches. So that when we give the invitation, they're scared to move. Fate somebody's going to embarrass them. One thing I think that is... Come on, Lord. Hit that big drum again. If you don't rain anywhere else, rain over at my house. <laughs> oh, Billy, too. I don't want Billy. I don't want her throwing that book at me, all right. But if there's anything that I think could improve today's uh, churches and ministry, it's getting our tear back. The tear for lost folks. The tear for ministry. Paul said there's a lot of things more important than a big stick and the legalism. He said, I'm not coming to you with a stick. I'm not going to cause lightning and thunder to beat down upon you. And boy, you talk about a rotten bunch of folk. This is a rotten bunch of folk. Arguing over favorite preachers. Paul said, your babies, I couldn't feed you with meat. I need to run around with a baby bottle sticking in your mouth all the time. Are you going to take your bat and ball and go home and nobody can play? He said, dear Lord, you're such a mess. I guess if I come over there, Paul said, I'd probably get angry. So I'm just going to write you a letter. And I'm going to write you a letter. And I'm going to write it to you. It's going to be a love letter. I'm going to write of my abundant love toward you. By the way, I've already wrote, I've written you about the abundant comfort you have in Christ. That was chapter one. And folk, if you are ever going to get comforted in whatever you're doing, you're not going to get it from somebody else. It's going to have to come from Christ. He's the comforter. Amen. And I'm so glad Paul's writing now. And and this is going to be really interesting. I need to hurry. I've only got uh, just a few hours to do this. Notice now many tears. Now, we've looked at Paul's tears for the church. Let's you and I look at Paul's testimony to the effect. Offender or the one who's causing all the trouble. Verse number 
5. Now be careful. But if any have caused grief. He hath not grieved me. But in part. That I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man. The offender. The one that caused all the grief in the church. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was afflicted of many. In other words, the church voted, but everybody didn't vote to discipline the guy. But the ones who did afflicted him. So then, contrarywise, you ought to forgive him and comfort him. Who is that? Oh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Who should we forgive? Who's he talking about? Forgiving and comforting. Verse 1 of chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. The last verse of that chapter says, this is what you do to somebody who's living in fornication in the church. But them that are without God judges, therefore put away that from among yourselves that wicked person. Paul said, next time the church comes together, you folks vote that guy out of the church. And he did. Now, he's out of the church. And the church has disciplined him and expelled him from the congregation. Now, with that in mind, let's read verse 5 again. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part. Paul said, I'm not eat up with grief. That way I can make a scriptural decision about what to do. People who get eat up with something. Well, let's just kill him. Let's hang him up by his heels out the back so everybody can walk by and see him. Do you discipline your kids to prove to your kids that you're right or to show your kids what to do right? See, there's a a difference in punishment and discipline. Churches are never encouraged to punish folk. But they are encouraged and instructed to discipline folk. Why do you discipline your children and why does God discipline us? Does God discipline us just because we broke his rules? Does God, when we do something wrong, does God lock us up in a 
penitentiary of his own making and put our nose in the corner and say, you sit there till you get cross-eyed. You broke my rule. That is punishment. That's why we have penitentiaries. God never punishes his kids. He disciplines his kids. Evidently, the man who was living in fornication was a saved church member. And Paul, if you read the rest of that, says, get him out of the church. Discipline. Take care of his body that God, that his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. Now the man has been out of the church for a while. And what discipline is encouraged to do is number one, to produce repentance and to encourage restoration. Most folk do not know enough about their Bible to know the difference in either one of them. Human sorrow is not divine repentance. Sorry one got caught is not being sorry that they sinned against God. Many times all we see down here is just a sorry that we got caught. But this man, Paul writes, he says, now it grieved me but not totally. I was not overcharged. I did not overcharge you folk to do that which is unscriptural. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. In other words, as some folks in the church all puffed up and was going to allow that sin to go on. And when Paul wrote the letter, they got mad at Paul because he said, discipline the guy. They that sin before all, rebuke for all that all may fear. Nobody likes a fellow who's going to stand up and take a stand against friends, neighbors, and relatives. Paul took a stand. Somebody don't like it. Now the guy's got it right. He's repented. And Paul's doing what he was supposed to do and some more don't like it. Would you like to be in the pastorate for a while? You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Notice this. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Notice this. The concerned is about him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Who's that? Oh, that's the guy that was living in sin with his father's wife. No, that, that's the guy they kicked out of the church. That's the guy they discipline. Well, I'm not going to sit by him. Oh, I know there's someone sitting by him in this crowd too. 
ever trust him again. It's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of doing what God says. Well, I'll not trust him in my chicken house. He's been stealing eggs. That don't say you got to sell him eggs. It just says you might ought. Verse 9 now. I don't think we're having fun yet. For to this end. For to this end. Also did I write. To set that thing right. That I might know the proof of you. Whether you be obedient in all things. It's easy to be obedient in the things that you want to be obedient in. You said, I tithe. Okay. But what about when your preacher has to take a stand on immorality? Well, I, 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 I go so and yeah, What about when a tailbearer in the church tries to destroy the church from within doctrinally and I have to stand him up on a Wednesday night and vote him out? How are you going to vote? And then when he repents and gets right with God and I bring him back in and I say, now, he's got it right. We need to restore that one in Christian love. What? Well, I, which, which time are you going to leave? Paul said, I wrote to you, just check your water, see what you made out of. See if you would be obedient. Is that, is that what your Bible said? Now, if you don't understand the King James, you can buy good news for modern man. You probably understand that. But what Paul is writing, said the proof's in the pudding. What we need to do and what the church of Jesus Christ needs to do is to do what this book says instead of what your opinion or what you think somebody should do. Well, I figured it would be a lot more exciting than this. Look at this. To whom you forgive anything, Paul said, I forgave also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Paul said, you voted. And I forgave it because you voted that way. Why did he do that? Verse 11, look at this. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The best, the easiest thing for the devil to do is to get the crowd who don't agree with the preacher when he does this and get them mad. And then when the preacher does what they don't like, this crowd over here gets mad at the preacher because he did what he's supposed to do. And the problem with most Christians is they are completely ignorant of how the devil works. And he has not changed one iota. Yea, hath God said 
You don't believe that, do you? You're not going to run your life by this, are you? You're not going to run your church by this when you got a book called The Baptist Way that was written by the missionary Baptist. Why would you use this? Yea, hath God said. That's the way the devil does it. Tries to get you to doubt this book. He might even say, ah, don't you know? Why, you might even be as smart as God with all your education, your degrees. Why, you look like a thermometer. You've got so many degrees. Why? You can rationale this thing out. Are we ignorant that if God, if the devil can get us out of this book, He's got us out of God's will and out of God's protection, out of God's provision. Folks, I'm not going anywhere but here. You know why? Because if I stay here, he'll stay with me. Do you believe that? Amen, buddy. And I like that because we don't need the devil on our case. Now, let, let me close with this. You say, honest? Yeah, honest. What time's the first pitch, Jim? What? You don't know. You know, I'm so proud of Jim. He hadn't watched any of the Olympics before 10 o'clock at night. Because <laughs> he hadn't been home any night before 10, but he's watched them all night. All right. Can look. Paul's tears. If you want a preacher or you want a pastor or you want a soul winner who's really right with God, check the tears. Paul's testimony, the offender. Now, let me show you Paul's triumph in Christ. We're more than conquerors. Or do you believe that? More than what? Conquerors. Let me tell you something. My lovely wife and I, we're not going to let the devil have our marriage. We're not going to do it. The kids have moved out and we've moved on. The only thing bothering us right now is Big Ben. Big Ben's on our case. My wife and I are not going to allow anything to destroy our marriage. We are conquerors through Christ. You got that. Argue, you bet. One, one, no, never have. Some words my wife has never learned yet. I'm sorry. Now she's learned, you're sorry. But she gets her pronouns mixed up. Not really. You don't have to allow the devil to ruin your marriage either. You're a conqueror. Not the conquered. Paul is a winner, an overcomer, a conqueror. Man, did I read for you all the persecution and the problems and the sorrows and the misunderstandings and the hurt 
Man, you throw Paul in jail. He's just going to have revival down to jailhouse. They said, you better lock them guys up or they're going to have this whole town one to Christ. We're going to stop this revival in Philippians. And they just moved Paul and Silas to the jailhouse. And what happened? Revival broke out in the jailhouse. He's a conqueror, man. You throw him in the sea and he starts preaching to the fish. And suddenly a slab of wood floats by and old Paul gets on board. You are a conqueror, not a conquered. Let me read it for you and we'll close. Verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was open unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave from them, I went from thence to Macedonia. Paul left Philippi, went to Troas and was expecting Titus to come from Corinth to give him the results of the letter that he had delivered. If you look at the map in the back of your Bible, it's a long way from Ephesus to Troas. And when he got to Troas, the Lord stirred his spirit about people there that needed to be saved. Instead of staying in his motel room watching the Olympics, he started preaching the gospel everywhere. Titus didn't show up. Paul was disappointed. So he said, I think I'll just go preach up in Macedonia. Y'all see how far it is. And Paul went and preached in Macedonia. Now notice this next verse. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to do what? Where? Triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Notice that word savor. That word savor is uh, is the word for fragrance or aroma. If you remember John the Baptist's father, the high priest was the priest at that particular time that was burning incense to God. He was in that area all by himself. And he would put that incense and it would begin to burn. And it would go up to God a sweet smelling savor. But guess what? He, in that confined area, that incense and that fragrance... Literally soaked his clothing in his hair. Have you ever gone to a chicken place and walked out checking for feathers? Because <laughs> you smell just like chicken. Imagine the high priest, if you would please, being isolated in this area where that sweet incense and odor and fragrances. It's going up to God. 
And in his special built, special made ephod and garments were just saturated with that fragrance. And everywhere he went, whether it was at the marketplace or whether it was down at the jail ministering or whether it was at his house, everywhere he went, the fragrance of God followed him. And everybody recognized, didn't have to see him, didn't have to hear it. They could smell the presence of God. Keep that in mind and thought now. Keep that thought in mind as I read the next verse. You got it? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. In them that are saved and in them that perish. Saved and lost alike ought to be able to experience the savor and the fragrance of heaven in our lives where we go. By the message and by the way we live, the lost and the saved should both smell and experience the savor of God in our life. Notice, if you would please, next verse as we close. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. The other the savor of life unto life. And notice, and notice the question, and who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient? I don't know if you're saved tonight. But as I speak the truth of God, the savor of God in Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to you that are saved, it's the savor of life. And to you who are not saved, untouched, unaffected, uncaring, I'm the savor of death. I can go by the flower. I can smell the flower and it smells beautiful. Somebody else can come by the flower and smell that same flower and begin to cough and sneeze. To one, it's the savor of death. To the other, it's the savor of life. Two boys can be raised by the same parents. Two boys can have the same parents and the same standards. One surrenders to the call to preach. The other becomes a criminal. Same savor. One to life. 
one to death. Who is sufficient, he says. Is that what he said? Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Corrupt panhandle. Hijack. Melt it down. Make it easy. Trim it. Use it for a merchandising tool. Paul said, we're not going to trim it down. We're going to preach it and some's going to believe it and live and some will not believe it and die. Try to keep the crowd happy with it? No. Just preach it. Is that okay with you? Because the sufficiency is not in the messenger. The sufficiency is in the message. Aren't you glad of that? Notice what he says. And it's, uh, it's five minutes. Notice what he says. It has stern demands laid upon him in verse 17. Number one, he doesn't corrupt the word of God. He's not a husker or a peddler. He don't whittle it down or dampen it down. And he doesn't mix anything with it like his opinion. I was speaking to, uh, I, I, you think as long as I've been in this, I would not allow a visit to get me sidetracked. You would think that after 46 years, I had learned at least, if I'm visiting a person who's visiting our church, I don't need to spend three hours on Daniel chapter 9 and Revelation 21. You would think that I could at least get out of the first 69 weeks of Daniel without falling flat on my face in the 70th week and then I have to turn to Revelation chapter number 6. And, uh, but I didn't do that. It's amazing how these heisters and huskers can corrupt the word of God. I just jotted down last night in my soul winner's New Testament, the verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, that the NIV, the B-U-L-L, the modern, modern version for an update idiot, good news for bad man, how many verses they took out of the Bible. For instance, Mark 1 and 1, they left out the Son of God. Why would they leave out the Son of God? Why would they leave out Matthew 18, 11, for the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost? Why would they leave that out? Huskers. Shysters. You know who owns the NIV? Rufus Murdoch. Do you know you cannot print over 100 verses, copy over 100 verses out of the 
NIV because it's copyrighted. It's to make money. Watch these birds on television. They're huskers. They're hustlers. They're, they're carnival guys. They're trimming it down any way they can just to make you feel good about what you're doing. Corrupting the word of God. What a, what a shame. Paul said, we're not going to corrupt it. Some are going to believe it and they're going to live. Some ain't going to believe it. They're going to die and go to hell. That's just the way it is. Notice, he said, we preach it in sincerity. But as God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. I'm glad for an old-fashioned book. It talks about an old-fashioned God. It tells about an old-fashioned way to an old-fashioned place. Are you glad of that?